Welcome to another episode of Nerds Amalgamated. I am the DJ, and with me today, I have the Professor and Devi Boy. Yo, what's up? Oh my god, no. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, I had to do something different. I mean, Devi's up here, up in the game with his yo. Friggin', friggin' uh, scary movie, man. Ah. <laughs> Nightmare flashbacks, but isn't that a parody of a mobile phone ad? Scary movie. I was a parody of something shot by shot. Yeah, I think it's supposed to be a parody of a mobile phone ad, which um I saw once when someone referenced it. But it's an American thing, so <laughs> yeah, I get no, I why you yeah. wouldn't get it. Fair enough. It's a, it, it's our birthday today, guys. Well, not really birthday, but this week. But yeah, it was a couple of days ago. I mean, I hope it's not out birthday because i really don't want to be triplets with you dj <laughs> boy that would be that'll be like watching a, a bad episode of friends so bad and in fact the professor will just leave the show in the half all right so what's this three years three years wow three three years and so many good memories and not to mention we uh, have having our um our new and our new uh partner in crime uh debbie boy here Oh, thank you. Thank you. Come on, DJ. Use your words. You can do this. <laughs> Learn English, man. It's not hard. Yeah, so we we, we also had fun um, doing uh, Supernova, trying to um, survive through the coof. The what? The, co- the coof. The coof, man. It's the coof. What's a coof? Corona. COVID, you know? That thing. Then He's use a term for what people are actually using. Stop trying to make coof happen. <laughs> If I was running the historical textbooks, I would cry. <laughs> <laughs> Dab on the coof. <laughs> the coof. Oh no! Ah, uh, so what, what was your what, were you, what was the best memories uh, during these last three years for you guys? Uh, reading our editing notes and realizing, oh no! <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised, Debbie boy, you haven't gone into the gone on and said, "Hey, DJ, you wrote this wrong, man." <laughs> Not yet, perhaps in the future. <laughs> Give, it mm. <laughs> Give it time. Give it time. How about you, Professor? I liked going to Supernova as someone who had a place to sit. <laughs> Not to mention, you at one point you were lying on your back, like, like, and we were like, "Wow!" Yeah, that was the week we forgot chairs. <laughs> but the year we forgot chairs. Oh yeah. <laughs> I think my best memory when it comes to these last three years was we when we when we had an actual guest on our show and that was Debbie Boy. Boy, that, that was that was a that, that was the most nerve wracking thing for me. Nerve wracking. Oh, oh man. Oh, oh I guess I, like my initial thoughts when I came into this was like, okay, I don't want to give Debbie Boy the impression we were in some two bit operation. Oh, that's the impression I definitely got. Yeah. <laughs> But I, I gotta say, like when 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 we had you on um, as a guest, you were fun, and we decided, like, yeah, this is this guy's gonna be our our future co-host. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm actually cool. What? <laughs> oh, that doesn't mean you're cool. Uh, that just now. means you're a co-host. Oh. Ah. <laughs> oh. But anyway, so I mean, enough with the uh, reminiscing of of reminiscing of the good times. Uh. Professor, you've got a story about uh, the Game Development Industry Report. Well, surprisingly, the Australian video game industry 
is actually growing. Wait, what? (laughs) Yeah, it might be hard to believe. Um, And it's actually holding up pretty well. So with COVID, the 76% of studios expect revenue to remain stable or increase. And 76% of studios also reported that they weren't making staff redundancies, which is a hell of a lot better than a lot of other industries at the moment. It probably helps that we've already got the instrumentation to work from home. Interesting about this is that even though... Okay, here's my question. Would you count the video game industry in the same field as the arts industry? Yeah. Like, if I recall, the arts industry was suffering so badly with the with the COVID situation. A lot of that seems to be live arts because nobody's doing concerts, so nobody needs a concert support crew. So it's not just the performer not making any money out of it. It's the lighting guy, the sound guy, the um, security guards. So this report, I'm, I'm having a look at look at this. Like uh, they broke it, they broke it down to 39 percent of game workers comprising programmers, 29 uh, percent artists and designers, and 19 percent in business oriented roles. No other industry creates as unique a blend of technology, creative, and commercial skills as video games. Yeah, there's a, it takes a lot of different disciplines to make a game. Although, perhaps unsurprisingly, 80% of full-time game devs are male, 17% are female, and 3% are trans, non-binary, or gender diverse. Which, uh, that definitely matches up with what I've seen at game developer meetups. Yeah, sounds about right. <laughs> Mobile gaming has also uh, gone up as well. Yeah, it always does. But PC is still the master race. <laughs> You reckon this report is consequential to how the how the landscape's going to be like in the next few years? I think um, you'd be better off looking at maybe the report from, well, an equivalent report from a couple of years ago. Because with the economic downturn from Rona, there is a, a lot of impacts there that you're probably not going to see right away for the games industry. So I think perhaps a lot of people who lost their jobs might be looking for work in uh, in the games industry because it's the sort of thing that you can start up in your you know in your bedroom and make a little bit of money out of it on the side so i think there might be a demographic shift uh compared to in the next couple of years yeah i agree on that point especially with how corona has shaped things around it's going to have a large impact going forward i believe and i think just being such a wacky year in general you'd be better off looking at things from a couple of years ago to see how the industry is doing in general. But it is pleasing that it did grow this year. Well, last year. And it's not only like it's it's not only like a balanced growth within all aspects of gaming. Like some aspects have grown more than the others. Like for example, mobile gaming has grown. Esports has exploded. Yeah, it turns out people really enjoy esports. Um we're also seeing an almost thirty percent increase in revenue since twenty nineteen. And that's just the Aussie industry. So that's not all carried on Animal Crossing. The one other question we also have to wonder is, even with this report, do you reckon this will provide more opportunities for, let's say, uh, people in Amer- people in America working for Ubisoft or Blizzard or Activision, for example, to go, you know what, let's go to Australia. We might make a killing over here. Well, we've spoken about this before, but that was the case before the government pulled out of the uh, funding program. Oh, yeah. 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 Once upon a time was the case, but this stays, it's more the opposite. It's more, huh, there's no jobs here. 
time to go over there. Um, in terms of being able to ray around, it's even less. Because what happens is uh, people, let's say, begin here in Australia. They graduate, they go to America, and they go into a AAA studio and work way up the ranks. There's no real reason to move back to Australia because we don't have the industry support their level of pay grade and their level of expertise. And so, we have a high cost of living. Yeah. yeah. So they'll basically be moving back and losing all that work they've done and experience they've gained over there without any support. So no one moves back once you move to America in the game industry. Obviously, some do, but not for working in the game industry here for other reasons, obviously personal ones. Um, so yeah, I, I, unless there's support or something drastic happens, I don't see it changing, at least for now, of course. And that's identified as the top two challenges facing the issue in this uh, survey. The number one issue is lack of government funding because the industry in Australia was based on the government funding that made it profitable to for companies to come and work in Australia, which in turn boosted the Australian economy and brought a whole bunch of money back over here. Same with how they film Pirates of the Caribbean in Australia. About as far from the Caribbean as you can get. Hmm. It's just because the, the government still sees value in supporting the film industry, but pulled out of the games industry, probably because they're a bunch of old old farts who don't know what they're doing. But that's every government, so, you know. How do you see this um, pan out for future game developers, like your uni students and stuff? Do you reckon I it's think, a good sign for them? To- I think Devi has a point that a lot of the talent here ends up working for foreign companies or moving overseas. Um, they do actually point out in the study that 87% of income is generated from overseas market and investment. So there's no huge advantage to staying in Australia as an Australian-centered company. If you can move to America or Eastern Europe or somewhere that might have a stronger industry and uh, optimally, you'd want to find someone with a strong industry and a cheaper standard, a cheaper cost of living, because the games industry isn't the most reliable. Oh, un- unless, unless this may be a crazy, crazy take. Unless if you've got China behind you. Yeah, that would involve selling out to Tencent, and that's not really an option for most indies. <laughs> a lot of indies I know actually have their games ripped off by Chinese developers. Unfortunately, it's common occurrence. And I, when it comes down to principle, most people don't want to give away their rights uh, or have someone control them because it's indie game development is sort of that culture. Uh, not, I'm not saying anything bad or good. This is just my take. Um, and that obviously means then support from other financial institutes is what it backs on what you gain comes back to the whole government thing. Yes, I think there's a, a bit of a brain drain going on and it's in the best interests of the industry and the and Australia in general to cut that off because um, when we had the industry here, it was making money for the Australian economy and the mines aren't going to last forever, but games is one of those sort of industries that if you invest into it and develop the industry, you're not going to lose it because you run out of a natural resource. No, 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 mate, mate, mate. How stiff this coal? Do you like the coal? <laughs> it's black and sooty. This is your life. It's black and dark like my heart. <laughs> Look, when it comes to the arts industry, I'd rather more games and less Gina Reinhardt poetry. <laughs> oh, oh, no. Oh, so bad. <laughs> Gina Reinhardt poetry. Yeah, it was bad. <laughs> so... I think I've made my point clear about the kind of art I want the Australian government to support. But here's here's another thing I was noticing on the um, 
the cycle. Some of the talent always gets propped, gets uh, transferred to film, TV production, education, health, business, and other areas. Do you reckon that's a good way as what well, good idea in a sense? Uh, do you mean game developers moving into other industries? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a perfectly applicable way of using your skills. So we know game developers work in Hollywood. Um, the Mandalorian uses game engines to generate the, uh, I think it's Unreal Engine, to generate the background. Yeah, it's Unreal. Nice. So I've spoken about it before, but they use Unreal Engine to create a live background that changes its projection as the camera moves. And that way, from the actor's perspective, they're not standing against the green screen. They're standing against the actual background that you're going to see in the episode. Another point, while you're talking about that, uh, Unreal just unleashed a new program this week. Uh, What's it called? Real Human or something? Um, basically, it throws uh, three character models out the window. Not really, but it uh, basically allows you to create high fidelity humans in a matter of seconds. Uh, and that's another thing that bridges the gap between like the movie industry and obviously games. Yeah. Um, last week, I think it was, no, the week before, we spoke about the sort of mocap suits being used by VR breakdancers. Oh, yeah. Breakdancing is now an Olympic sport. It's a medal sport. So we could still hold the Olympics, guys. <laughs> VR, breakdancing, VR, rhythmic gymnastics. Yes, um, the um, that's a sort of low-budget mocap setup that I could see an indie film studio using. So I think there's a lot of overlap between uh, video games and movies. Maybe healthcare, there's not so much um, apart from creating games that you can use in healthcare, like the the ADHD treatment app we spoke about um, about a year ago now. Yeah, yeah. The first piece of software approved, well, first app approved by the FDA as a treatment. Yeah, yeah. and not to mention um, in, in the health department, you can also work with developing new consoles and new uh, controllers for people with disabilities as well. I think that's more of a user, like, hardware interface design thing. It's not necessarily a game dev thing, but that's something that anyone with a 3D printer could do. I actually um, really enjoy Ben Heck's videos. He does a single-handed versions of the controllers. So someone uh, commissions them, I think, and he goes through and redesigns the controllers, chops up a couple of controllers, 3D prints custom bits, and then glues them back together. And he has a controller that you can play a game with one hand. But the inputs are all still the same. So it doesn't really influence what you can do in the game, more how you interact game. So your experience in the gameplay is indistinguishable from somebody else's. How do you fellas see the two reports from your perspectives? Uh, it's actually one report. Oh, You've just I, put I... in two different links to the same report. Oh, okay. One's the official link and one's a discussion of it. Oh, fair enough. I'm happy the industry's growing. I'm disappointed that the government still hasn't realized what a good thing they had with the um, funding program. And because it, the industry just keeps growing, it's bigger and bigger every year. Um, and if we want to have any of that in Australia, we need to grab onto it right now before it's all gone. How are you, Debbie boy? Yeah, I feel the same sentiment. It's 
governments are governments, and they make good decisions, and they also make terrible ones. And those poor game industry is a terrible one in my eyes. And I think, yeah, I don't know, man. It, it's hopefully we get funding, but it always gets shot down, and it's sad. Um, but only time will tell. That's the main thing he's got to wait for, I guess. Yeah. Like, oh, sorry. Sorry. Uh, um, I harp on about the games industry, but I think it's going to get a bit political here, but I think it's a bit of a symptom of the Australian economy in general. We're still riding on the mining boom from you know the last couple of decades, tons of money in mining, and eventually that's going to run out. So I think the um, we should be building up industries like this as part of the Australian identity so that when the time comes, people can still find work. There's still jobs available. There's still money coming into the economy. But coal, have you smelt black coal? Coal is lovely. <laughs> coal is life. Mm, I think Debbie I likes coal. coal. I I don't know I don't know about you guys, but this this um this whole report to me busts the myth that oh the games industry and arts based industries are all temporary industries they don't really fund them they don't really give out as much money as the or as coal and stuff like this busts the myth in a sense. Yeah, I agree that um, there is potential in the industry and it does keep growing. And at the moment, like currently 51% of studios in this survey are five years or younger. Only 20% of studios make it longer than 10 years. I don't know exactly how that compares to other industries, but I think the games industry is, well, for an individual company, it's very boom and bust. So you release your game, make most of your sales in the first couple of weeks that the game's out, and then settle back into developing your next game. And if the next game doesn't pan out, you might not have the reserves going to do anything else. Yeah. So I think that's um, one area of investment that would be helpful. Um, the, yeah, the second biggest challenge facing the industry Earlier, I said the first one is the lack of government funding, and the second one is attracting early stage development funding. And then the third one is hiring employees with specialized skills, which comes back to the brain drain. Yeah. So there's money in the industry if you know where to find it and if you survive the boom-bust cycle. But from what I've learned from the people I speak to, um, it's also not necessarily a bad thing that their studios are young because a lot of the people I've met in the industry hop from studio to studio. Um, they join a studio, work on a couple of games, and then when that studio breaks up, they move on to another one. So it's not necessarily that they're going out of work, they're just working somewhere else. Yeah. And I think that's what makes the um, games industry, even though it's a, it's a temporary industry, it, it's enduring. That's a good that's, that's That might be a good word, I reckon. Yeah, I think that's a good one. Yeah. It also helps that there's new suckers every year. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not that bad. Um, but well, that depends. And then, the, the, speaking of new suckers, though, it's it comes down to as well, like how cra- how um, crazy the studios can get. I mean, remember Fallout seventy six and how Bethesda and Zenimax went crazy on that one. That's less of an issue with an indie developer. Yeah. Because if your game sucks, it's just going to fade into obscurity 
you're n- never going to release another game if your game sucks that badly. Um, unless you're Hello Games, who somehow managed to get past uh, No Man's Sky and actually make it somewhat decent now. But um, so my comment about the new suckers. The other thing is it's hard to break into the industry in Australia because there's no entry-level jobs because the in- the studios aren't big enough to be hiring people who haven't proven their worth already. So I think what you see is a lot of people doing indie dev, forming a studio with a couple of friends, then breaking up and going to work for a bigger company. And often that company is overseas. Yeah. Um, a lot of the people who get invited to speak at the... Uh, sorry, I've gone blank on the name. TED Talks? No. Okay, so a lot of the people I've heard speak at symposiums I've been to, uh, people who graduated just a year or two before me and who managed to break into the industry in a bigger way than I did. Um, I fully admit I'm not actively in the industry at the moment, but a lot of them are overseas now. And when they get invited to speak, they have to fly back or join in a Skype call. It's not like we're calling in people from just down the road because all of the people were leaving overseas. So there's no one here to actually carry the torch. But I'm glad to see the three quarters of, of studios are going uh, relatively unaffected by COVID. And I hope we can carry this through a 30% increase this year. Well, last year, probably a bit bigger than usual because of COVID. The games industry had a big boost last year. So I hope they can carry it on next year. Uh, how about you, Debbie boy? What do you, rec- what, what do you think? Yeah, I, I think I think shoes are pretty strong right now. Um, and I reckon things are going to keep improving. At the speed that's necessary, I don't think it will, but they'll improve nonetheless. Um, it's just going to take time. That's, that's my outcome. Okay. So uh, speaking of interesting outcomes, uh, there's, a, there's a new research saying that eating too much fat and sugar as a child can uh, alter your microbiome. Well, that sounds familiar. <laughs> Speaking about your microbiome uh, just last week. Yeah. So this study at um, UC Riverside, researchers in one of, one of the first to show that a significant decrease in the total number and diversity of gut bacteria in mature mice fed an unhealthy diet as juveniles. So they said, we've studied the mice, but the effect we, have, uh, we observed is equivalent to kids having a Western diet. High in fat and sugar, and their gut microbiome is still affected up to six years after puberty. Well, that's scary. <laughs> so, if you're eating that pizza, think about the future. So, yeah. it's, oh. well, it's also the question of what are the long-term effects of this? Because you remember uh, last week, the mice with a particular strain of E. coli were worse parents. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So what is the long, long-term so, effect of this change on your microbiome? So they did the, so the long-term effects wise, uh, what, what happened was, so in the study, Garland's team looked at the impacts and um, what, they divide the mice into four groups. Half fed the standard healthy diet, half fed, fed the less we, uh, healthy Western diet, half with access to a running wheel for exercise and half without. After three weeks of it, the mice all returned to the standard diet and their exercise, which is normally how the mice are kept in the lab. After the four, at the 14-week mark, the team examined the diversity and abundance of bacteria in the animals, and they found that the quality of bacteria uh, was significantly reduced in the Western diet group, and that was the uh, type of bacteria that's involved in carbohydrate metabolism. Understandable. 
Yeah, and the there announcer- are a lot of carbs in Western diets. Oh yeah, particularly yeah. pasta. Mm-hmm. And the analysis showed that the gut bacteria are sensitive to the amount of exercise the mice got. So the bacteria that's found that's in, that's found in the gut is increased in mice that are fed with the standard diet, who has access to the running wheel, and decreased in mice on the high fat diet, whether they had ex- exercise or not. Diet and exercises affect your health. This just in. <laughs> yeah, so... Meanwhile, when, water is wet. <laughs> well, we knew all that already, but it's uh, sort of interesting to know the mechanism. Yeah. And also a possible reason. Possibly uh, this change in your gut bacteria could be a reason for long-term obesity, chronic obesity. Um, and it kind of reminds me, so there's a stereotype in the US about people from southern states being lazy and dumb. And the reason that stereotype came about is because of hookworms. Really? Okay. Yeah, a lot I didn't of know people that in the South were poor and didn't have shoes. So they'd get infected with hookworms, which are a parasite, which would then lead to them being, you know, fatigued and mentally out of it, which would make it harder for them to earn a living. So they'd get sort of trapped in this cycle where you can't afford to live healthily, so you get hookworms, so you are too dumb to keep to work. Hmm. So it kind of makes me wonder the like there's stereotypes these days of um poor people who are morbidly obese, particularly uh because fast food is so cheap now. And when you're poor, you have less time to cook because you're busy working your second job or whatever. Um, I wonder if if this is a case where children coming out of that environment are disadvantaged by well, by their upbringing, not because of any fault of their parents, but just because of the scenario. Yeah. So this is this comes down to the nature versus na- nurture argument, doesn't it? It does, kind of. Yeah. yeah. And um, last week discussing the poo pill oh. and how it might change your behaviour. See, with, with this, can you imagine now all these um, health organisations going like, "See, we've told you from the start, but you didn't listen to us, did you?" Let's be honest, the health organizations did tell us. <laughs> Remember how um, the, all, all the health health and PE ads, there was PE classes, they'll say like, oh, you got to keep, keep a balanced diet, everybody. And we all go like, eh, who cares about the balanced diet? Yeah, yeah, I've been there. <laughs> and... You know, and now it just bite. Now it's like biting in our asses. Now going, I should not. I should have listened to those guys. Okay, but in the defense of students who didn't pay attention in PE, kids aren't the best at making the best decision for their future. But yes, uh, this is evidence that long-term effects can carry over from your diet, yeah. and we don't know enough about what those effects can be. Doesn't mean that people who were had a um, a fatty childhood diet, you know, does is that the stimulus that produces the particular kind of E. coli uh, we discussed last week, or is it something else? What um, what we need to know is what the effect this has, and whether it can be treated by healing the gut biome. Yeah. With poo pill. (laughs) Poo pill. (laughs) The poo pill. Changing your diet step by step. (laughs) Well, that's what I'm curious about here. Can you imagine if uh, if we get like testimonials saying, 
thanks to the poo pill, I used to, my body has changed from a Western diet to a vegan diet. I mean, yeah, that's an interesting, uh, interesting investigation. Does a fecal uh, transplant affect your future diet choices? <laughs> like, um, the theory used to be, before I got debunked, that your organs had some sort of memory. And if you had an organ transplant, you would have the me- sort of memory of the person you got the transplant from. So um, the Simpsons did it. And Homer <laughs> oh, yeah. had the hair transplant. From, <laughs> was it Snake? <laughs> yeah, it was Snake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Homer becomes a criminal. <laughs> Now it's not that severe, but the um, yeah, the story was always stuff like your taste of music changed, and it makes me wonder: could that be, in this case at least, associated with your diet, uh, your gut biome? If you had a, a transplant of some part of your body that influenced your gut biome, could that then further influence your behaviour? Mm. Well, then or he, but, the way but, your biome d- develops does that influence your behaviour? Yeah. But here's the thing, though. This is from from the if, if you're doing it from a childhood. So feeding a feeding a child the poo pill <laughs> that that would I don't know that that'd be bordering on some. Yeah, you'd better not look up what they do to children who are born C-section. Section. No, I, I don't think I would. <laughs> My understanding is that they wipe the child's mouth with um. With the mother's feces. Oh, oh, all right, all right, all right. There goes the last lingering thought of the miracle of birth. (laughs) Yeah, birth's less a miracle and more terrible. (laughs) Well, well, you now convinced me to go on a vegan diet. Now, thanks, Professor. (laughs) Yes, here's the um, here's an article about it from last year. (laughs) <laughs> and, uh, I remember reading about it a while back. Um, so, yes, because under a, a natural birth, the child is exposed to more bacteria. So they reckon that if you take a baby born C-section, you want to give them some of that uh, some of that input so that they can develop a healthy gut biome. <sighs> Debbie's been a bit quiet. Have we grossed him out? <laughs> I think we have killed. I think we killed him. We killed him with the with uh, poo pills. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just imagining my mind right now. Why have you done this to me? <laughs> it's bad enough to do it one week, and now it's two weeks in a row. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> we owe, I think we OD'd on the on on poop. <laughs> I'm thinking plastic little pills like fish oil tablets, just filled with a black murky liquid. <laughs> I'm just like Jesus Christ. <laughs> Oh no! I, don't, don't don't give Blackmore some good some good, some ideas. <laughs> so, sooner or later, we'll see a brand power ad with the black oh, so, no. some lady go Blackmore's poop pills. <laughs> that well, I'm out of here, bye. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, come back, Debbie boy. Come back. I'm done. That's it. I'm gone. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're now taking applications for. Co-host. <laughs> I don't think we have to he's... try a poop pill. It's going to be a new prosthetic. Uh... <laughs> that that'll be the new. <laughs> you know, this well, is why we don't get any listeners. You know, right? <laughs> Probably. Probably. Yeah. Oh. Jesus Christ! So much. <laughs> I do like this closing line from the uh, from the author, though. 
um, the the researcher, uh, what's his name, Theodore Garland. He said, "You're not only what you eat, but what you ate as a child." <laughs> I think this opens up a whole lot of new um, therapeutic avenues that should be researched. That's that'd be weird though. Can you imagine? Like, okay, let's be real. Do you remember what you ate five years ago? Like, <laughs> no, but your insides do, and they they've been waiting quietly, plotting their revenge. <laughs> yeah, in the form of cholesterol. <laughs> you shouldn't have eaten that super spicy curry, DJ. <laughs> That's the thing. Like, can you imagine, like, telling your telling your counselor, "Oh, I ate this pizza. That's why I'm. That's why I'm. Uh, I became a mass murderer because I ate this slice of pizza." Okay, it's not an excuse for mass murderers, <laughs> but I do wonder if um, there might be some more subtle behavior changes. Maybe not enough to make you a mass murderer, but if you had a particular strain of uh, gut bacteria. If you're more aggressive, I mean, that, that, see, that would be an interesting, that'd be an interesting um, rabbit to go, rabbit hole to go on, go on for. I mean, that would just like go. All right, so are we going to be doing this whole Deus Ex thing, like discriminating people <laughs> on gut health and stuff? That's a good question because it's along the same lines as Deus Ex that your um, additions or lack thereof have an impact on your place in society. So would we see people like forcing their kids to have particular probiotics to make sure they can fit in at the top schools? Oh, no, I'm thinking Gattaca all over again. Yeah, oh, so no. not just designer babies, but... <laughs> So you don't stop at the genetic manipulation, but for their entire life, you prepare them to be the ultimate student. <laughs> Man, this is like going to Gattaca and Cyberpunk 2077 territory already. Yeah, and, you know, could you, could a dietitian, my girlfriend's just graduated as a dietitian, actually, so um, <laughs> it's always really interesting talking about this stuff with her. But could a dietitian recommend a certain diet to you to influence your gut bacteria because that's more palatable than poo pill. I mean, dietitians are are are, te- are like therapists in a sense, so it could. Yeah. So, I mean, there's the um, the anti gluten people who think that who aren't actually diagnosed as celiac, but think that gluten has an impact on their health. Possibly it does. Um, I'm not going to completely deny it because you know I've heard weirder things, but. I've heard them put all sorts of wacky things down to it. And I know this is fertile breeding ground for dumb conspiracies <laughs> and Pete Evans bullshit. <laughs> oh, yeah. Man, that guy was, that guy's a nutcase. <laughs> yeah, staring at the flashing lights will not protect you from Rona. That is legitimately something he claimed. And what's even worse is that the device that he was selling was some stupid um, stupid device that you program with like 600 different programs and it's like Rona protection, uh, sleep better and it's got flashy lights and bullshit. He only got fined the equivalent of two of those devices oh. if he'd sold them. So he got fined nothing. Getting yes. off topic flashy there. lights makes me sleep better to flash, flash my eyes on that. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you always feel so relaxed after you've had a seizure? 
man. Yeah, so, like, this hippie bullshit that Pete Evans goes on about, bullshit. Don't listen to a word that comes out of his mouth. (laughs) See, uh, and here's another... Oh, sorry. But possibly, and wait for the research before you go around making any major life choices, of course, possibly your diet can have an impact on your, like, beyond just your mood, but your future behavior. And I mean, yeah, that makes perfect really, sense. Yeah. Especially sort of alcohol, drugs, about. and the pandemics. Like, obviously, those are a bit more out there than just, obviously, food, but they still count in a certain essence, I guess. Yeah, so I think, um, you know, this is even just more evidence supporting what we were saying last week. You, you, know, uh, what's gonna, you, you know what's going to be um, crazy, though? Can you imagine... Um, like all these crazy diets, um, d- dietary things like uh, the lemon diet and um, the tea diet, all going like, see, see, you should try, you should do this, you, you should try our diets because they will work and they will c- cure you from all these crazy things. Like, we, I'm, yeah, I'm- that's not exactly what I'm hoping will happen. I do admit it's a bit of a risk that people will latch onto this as and use it to peddle their unfounded beliefs. But, you know, a diet to influence your gut biome specifically or a treatment, whatever it is, it's a whole new therapeutic avenue that um, I don't think has been really explored. And that's why I'm excited about it. So um, moving on, uh, Debbie Boy, you've got a story about Cyberhack 2077. Indeed. So, hey, boys, do you (laughs) like Cyberpunk? Welcome to Night City. Anyways, yes. Uh, apart from the memes, uh, CD Projekt Red got hacked the other day, and uh, flaw in their servers meant that hackers stole both the source code for Witcher 3 and Cyberpunk 2077, which is a bit of a big oopsie. Uh, the threat was, I don't know what it was, they locked it behind a paywall, and they didn't pay up, then something that will occur. Which presumably is the release of the source code. Exactly. And the ransom note was very interesting. Yeah, it's all leak speak. I don't think it's um like serious. I think it's more like whatever hacking group did this wants it to look like some fourteen year old living in his <laughs> mum's basement. I-, I love the fact that CD came out and just just gave us a text document with it. <laughs> just note that. Open it up, boys. It's like you've been epically poor. We have dumped full copies of the source code from our. Pro- from your pre-4 server of a Cyberpunk Witcher 3 Gwent and unreleased Witcher 3. <laughs> it, 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 sounds like one, it, it sounds like one of those crazy kidnapping um, ransom notes. Well, it is. They've kidnapped the code, and rather than kill it, they're going to give it to everyone if, if uh, CDPR doesn't pay up. And Which CDPR shouldn't pay up because yeah. like, they made it clear they do not negotiate with terrorists. But yes. you can't give in to blackmail because first they say give us ten thousand dollars or we release the code. Then they come back next week and demand another ten thousand. And yeah. you know you're not taking away their leverage by paying them. Same for people who get crypto locked. The recommendation for companies that get crypto locked and have adequate backups and all of that is to never pay the um, the hacker. In fact, it's some places are even making it illegal to pay the hacker. Yes, that's exactly the thing. You can't pay up. And um, it's, it's, they're in a tough position because they, they, they have released some stuff, I believe. Uh, nothing of important scale yet. But the thing is, if they do 
well, they already are breaking laws, so they're already being investigating. So, you know, they're already going to be trying to be tracked down. But if they do release all that, then that's a well, that's a massive crime. Uh, uh, so that means, oh, sorry, go on. Yeah, I heard that they they sold it at, at the um, dark web, if I recall. Well, that's kind of where all of these sorts of things go down. Mm-hmm. So it's not particularly special for happening on the dark web. Yeah, it's not. It doesn't really. Obviously, it's going to be on the dark web. You're not going to go on Twitter. Tinder. Oh my god. Twitter. <laughs> Swipe right for CDPR source code. <laughs> yo, yo, girl. And it's just a picture of Geralt in the Oh no, no, can the you imagine that? It's Geralt in the bath. <laughs> can you imagine Johnny Silverhand going, wake up, wake up, uh, Samurai? Swipe right to, to, to see CD Project Red Bird. <laughs> Oh my god! Anyway, so sorry. You would only release it on Tinder or Twitter because uh, you'll be easily tracked, and that's uh, the whole good for you. I mean, what? What do they gain from all this? I mean, if they're trying uh, to gain nothing, I'm, not, really? pretty much nothing. Money. Yeah. If CDPR pays up, they get money. Well, yeah, obviously, yeah. They get money in that sense. But in terms of releasing it, um, in terms of releasing it, that they don't get paid. Really, they get nothing. Um, yeah. All they get is just be aggressive back and to get themselves in a lot of crap going forward if they're going to be on investigation forever, basically. Um, so really, it's a bad idea for them if they were to release any of them all of them have. Uh, it does give them street cred, though. It gives them street cred in the black, in the black hat community. Uh, black hat community, I mean. But, yeah. like, that's why a lot of crime happens. It's not exactly the best idea, but there's a reason for it. Maybe, uh, like... I don't know what their end game is, but maybe this would be evidence for, uh, well, cred for them to get picked up by some bigger hacking outfit. Like who? Anonymous? Oh, yeah. Hey, no. well, I'm thinking state level. Oh, okay, yeah. Because if they can hack CDPR, they've proven that they can hack major companies that should know better. So what's next? A bank? Exactly. So it's that whole uh, situation where it's like, potentially they could go places, but again, with everything being all uh, obscure online, it's a, still a risk for them. But obviously, if you're going to do this, you're not too worried about the risk. But, but, but um, here's the thing. Yeah. But, but, he, but here's the thing, though, guys. Okay. So they so they give out the source code to, to, to the world, okay? Like Cyberpunk 2077. It's going to be like everybody gets a free game, in a sense. No. No? Because you also need the assets. You need the graphics and the music, and you need the build environment. So, so the it's source possible. code is just the code. Yeah. Like, it's, you don't have the engine running it. And as, as um, Professor was saying, you don't have any of the source code audio files or even perhaps some of the compression methods to develop it. So you, you've got the code. You look at the code and look at funny comments, which is not a good idea doing in the first place. But if out there, you can. That's about all you can do with it. Um, if someone, a company could look at the main issue with being source code released, a company's could look at it and see how they did things and use that knowledge. Which um, is legally dubious. Yes, but exactly. Hard to prosecute. Yeah. And look, some another one, some companies could possibly take the source code and make their own games from it. But again, that's illegal, which I mean, some countries obviously have different laws to others, so they can do that. But in general, for AAA studios, that's a bad idea. So. It's more the fact you lose CD Projekt Red has a bit of a bump in there. It's more it's more of a human impact on their developers than anything else. Yeah. And it also is a big embarrassment for CDPR because uh-huh. you'd think a company making a game about hacking would at least uh, know how to get not hacked. 
This actually happened to uh, Ubisoft last year. Somebody hacked them and released the source code for Watch Dogs. And that totaled up about like 500, 600 gigs. Oh. Possibly there were assets in there as well. I never actually look at them. But um, it's the sort of case where I think if I was into black hat hacking, I think I would be greatly tempted by companies that like to make games about hacking because it just feels really ironic to be a, a hacker hacking someone making a game about hacking. And what's what's even more interesting is the, the hack itself was a, um, was ransomware. Did they get crypto locked as well? Uh, I, be- I believe so, but they simply... It's not as I can promise you CDPR because I just can restore a backup. Um, but yeah, I think I think it was ransomware that got in originally. Uh, but that's from the hackers' uh, own comments, so you know the validity of that can be debated. Okay, so CDPR hasn't confirmed or denied crypto locker. Yeah, exactly. Wouldn't be surprised though. I mean, yeah, crypto locking is, not- is surprisingly common. Yeah. Most cases, you just get over it because uh, you know spend a few days rebuilding your network and get over it uh worst case scenario your mask or mask however you pronounce it the shipping company and you discover you get hacked and discover that you don't have the correct backups and have to rebuild everything from a single computer that happened to not be online at the time the hack happened somewhere in africa it's a great story the uh russian hackers used a ukrainian accounting firm's software to distribute a virus to a bunch of different companies, including including the NHS, which that one really pissed me off because that's playing with people's lives. But Mask was the hardest hit. Um, they had to rebuild from scratch, and the uh, the only thing saving them was that the I think the power or the network went offline in one of their African offices, which <laughs> left like. It's just one server that wasn't infected that they could use to rebuild. So, you know, best case scenario, you've got backups and it takes you a day or two to get back online. Worst case scenario, you're completely buggered and you've lost it all. Wait, curiously, Professor, are you talking about the WannaCry um, ransomware? Yeah, attack? that sounds right. Yeah, and that, oh man, that was a show. Yeah. This is, here's the thing, though. Attacks on gate on companies like um, uh, CD Projekt Red, they're they're not um, common, aren't they? I mean, we've we've Uh, seen hacks happen to Bethesda and... Yeah, I I think a lot of people are interested in hacking game devs. Yes, it appears that way, doesn't it? I think also a lot of game devs uh, don't put a lot of money into making their servers uh, good. I know Noidog got hacked because they're keeping all their source code on the same server that hosting multiplayer games on for Uncharted. So it's like, oh no. <laughs> yeah, it's also a sort of low risk setting. If you hack a games company and steal their source code and don't like lock down their computers or anything. Unless you hack Valve. Yeah. <laughs> Valve <laughs> really came down on that guy hard. <laughs> but it's, um, it's sort of just bragging rights. If you release the source code, you can say, I did that. As long as you don't, you know, go and cause any monetary damage to them by uh, locking up their computers or anything, unless you hack Valve, in which case they will give you, a, they will bring the hammer down. Um, the specific incident we're talking about is the 2004 hack that leaked Half Life Two. Oh yeah, 
Yeah, so I think, um, but in the grand scheme of things, it's no lives are at risk. There's monetary damage. It's not like, you know, if you hack a bank, you know you're going to jail. If you hack Valve, you and you live in a country that doesn't have extradition and all that, your odds are pretty good. Not that I'm condoning it. <laughs> I think you're less likely to be caught for hacking a game dev than you would be for hacking most so, other major businesses. So basically, um, game dev companies are just fair, ta- fair targets in a sense. Well, it's like they're in the public eye. They're historically not been very good at preventing hacks. As Professor saying, you're not exactly going to financially. There's not very much financial incentive to get you unless you do release something very, very vulnerable. But yeah, don't be surprised. This won't be the last time. There'll be more. Yeah. I kind of want it to get leaked, though, at this point, because um, CDPR have made it clear that they're not going to pay up. But one of my favorite things whenever something like this gets leaked, I never look at the source code myself because um, it's legally dubious to be a developer. It's just generally not a very respectful thing to do. Not, yeah, uh, it, it's what like I do enjoy, someone. it's kind Sorry. of more like um, one way to put it: taking somebody's thing apart and looking at it, and then going and making your own thing very similar. Like you can't guarantee that you weren't influenced in by taking apart the other person's thing, so that's why it's legally dubious. Yes. Um, so with the Microsoft, um, sorry, React OS. The developers for that refused to look at any leaked source code. They refused to um, refuse to accept you if you've ever worked at Microsoft because you might have seen the code and then carry that over, and then that gets them into trouble for uh, copying the code, basically. Um, but my favorite articles to come out in the aftermath of are the compilations of weird comments. Tim, fix this now! This code's <laughs> terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and probably the most famous, the inverse square code, I think it was, from uh, from Doom, oh. which just has the comment WTF, <laughs> because they'd figured this out and come up with this. I think it was John Romero who did it, but it's this magical piece of code that does what it does very efficiently in a very complicated way that's hard to understand. So someone's just labeled it WTF. How does this magic work? Yes, here we go. It's the fast inverse square root. Here's a crazy idea. Can you imagine someone getting getting the source code and fixing the co- f- fixing what's wrong with Cyberpunk and just give it to the project right and go, here you go, I just fixed your game for you. Yeah, that's a bad idea. You're going to get out to find out the ass for doing that. <laughs> yeah, it's not um not one of those cases where you want to connect your name with it, really. Wait, wasn't wasn't there one game that uh, people figured it out? There was something wrong with the coding, and yeah. it made the game so, a whole lot better. Alien Clone Marines, they did that, but yeah, it's Clone Marines. It's it's sort of like it's not in the height of popularity. It's so you know, it, it's a lot to do when it comes to fixing code is uh, also politics and the current popularity of that game. And those guys that fix Clone Marines didn't release it; they just released that. Yeah, I found there was like a small park and I fixed the whole game. Oh, so well, to be clear, AI. the um, Colonial Marines fix is like one line of code in an any file, which is something that consumers have access to anyway. Okay, so that makes you better. don't really need to break into the code base to do that, if, I, if I'm remembering it correctly. I believe so, yes. 
So only time will tell what will happen with CD Projekt Red, huh? Indeed, in time. Yeah, so we know they're not going to negotiate with Tetris, um, but we're yet to see what's actually in the code that beyond the teasers that the hackers released to prove that they had it. So mm. maybe in a week or so, if they actually release the code, we'll see some interesting findings. I am kind of curious if there's like, there were memes going around when this was announced, but I'm kind of curious if there's going to be a line that's like, fix AI. Hmm. And uh, we should uh, move on in the interest of time. And so uh, for our final topic, uh, the Super Bowl happened this year. Yay. Well, doesn't it do that every year? Yeah, they do it every year. Yeah. Yeah. The thing I enjoy most is that the subreddit Super Bowl, well, Super Bowl is like one letter, well, one space different from Superb Owl. <laughs> you just shift the space one spot and you get Superb Owl. <laughs> so the Super Bowl subreddit is taken over by people posting pictures of owls. Oh, but um, yeah, with the, the Super Bowl, uh, the usual stuff happened. There's the football game. There's the halftime, um, halftime entertainment. But a lot of there people paid attention. Oh, 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 wait, what? Wait, why? Somebody streaker. made a bet that there would be a streaker, then went there and streaked. Struck. <laughs> However, you, whatever the correct oh, sense for streaking is. Oh, streaked. Yeah, that'll be the um. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Jesus, that's a Which, that's a first. I'm pretty sure his uh, bet is going to be disqualified <laughs> because um, there's probably some term in the conditions for the uh, the bet that you can't do anything to influence the outcome. <laughs> I can imagine all these bet, uh, all the bet pundits are all going like, "Damn it, I put money on this thing!" No. <sighs> all right, so you appear to be quite the fan of the uh, of corporate worship, DJ. <laughs> so, what so, are the advertisements? Uh, yeah, so the ad- so that's the biggest thing people pay attention to. So we had the um the the, uh, the movie trailers such as Raya and the Last Dragon that ca- that's coming out in um soon. Um, you've got the Fast and the Furious Nine. Yes, there is another Fast and the Furious movie. How um, we already know what their fate is. What comes after your fate? Uh, it says F9 uh, so <laughs> that's that's the new title F9 the fast the fast saga um what else was is there there is the new M Night Shyamalan uh, movie called Old basically the new M Night Shyamalan movie is it's basically a family enjoying a secluded beach until strange things start to happen specifically everyone everyone is aging at an accelerated rate Wait a minute, where have I heard that line? Where have I heard that plot before? Wasn't that, wasn't that Cocoon? I don't know. I haven't seen Cocoon. But it's a pretty common thing where somebody's aging too rapidly and they have to cure it before they die. Yeah, yeah. So that's a, a new M. Night Shyamalan movie. That's, that's a new one. Um, then you have Coming to America, the new Eddie Murphy movie, which is a sequel to the 1988 movie. And it has, some, and it has most of the old cast as well, like James L. Jones. And Eddie Murphy, and Eddie Murphy, and Eddie Murphy. Um, That's a lot of Eddie Murphy. Oh, yeah. Uh, then for, for TV, they've got The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, the most hyped 
a Disney Plus show that's coming out soon. So it's basically the adventures of Sam the Falcon Wilson and James Bucky Barnes, uh, formerly known as the Winter Soldier. And the, so it's uh, a good trailer to check out. Um, there are some. There were some in- interesting ads that came out as well. So, for example, Cadillac came out with their ad, and it starred Timothy Chalamet as Edgar Scissorhands, the son of Johnny Depp's Edward Scissorhands. Who's playing Scissorhands in this one? Uh, Timothy Char- Chalamet. Okay, I think it's probably pronounced Chalamet. Okay, and uh, uh, and with this ad, it added in Winona Ryder playing reprising her role as Kim. Uh, what else was there? Then there was Uber Eats with um, Wayne's World in it, and uh, a, a pretty popular um, Super Bowl ad, which is uh, Doritos. At Doritos came up with their 3D ad, and it starred Matthew McConaughey uh, talking about the struggles through life until potato chip helped him bring him back to a much more filled ex- filled out existence. Okay, but did they do anything interesting, or is it all just advertising? It's all just advertising, but uh, like I said, the movie trailers are coming out for this year. Uh, well, movie and TV trailers are coming out for this year. A lot of people are hyped for the new fast, the new fast move, the new Fast and the Furious movie, the new Disney movie, and the uh, Captain America, the Winter Soldier Falcon um, TV series of all. Most of them. Okay. But that's the that's the cool part. That's the most watched part about of the Super Bowl. It's not it's not the game. It's not the halftime. It's the ads and how much. Yeah, people- that just weirds me out. People are that into being advertised to. Like I'm not some anarcho communist whatever or anything like that. The Super Bowl ads just weird me out. Uh, the, it, the one thing I will say about the, when it comes to Super Bowl ads, it it adds the hype to the upcoming event. Like for example, all these like movie tra- Super Bowl ads, you know, like yes, we're hyping up this movie. Although the cynic in me in, in this current in this current de- uh, age will be saying, yes, this is a Super Bowl ad for a movie that will be delayed for another year. Yeah, when you said Timothy Chalamet, it reminded me, which isn't <laughs> coming out for most of this year. <laughs> and it got me feeling sad. So, so which stage of grief are you up to now? Uh, let me double check the stages. <laughs> so uh, while the Professor is looking at the stages, Debbie Boy, which uh, trailer are you hyped up for when it comes to the Super Bowl ads? Uh, neither. <laughs> neither? Not even, not even the Raya trailer? No, sorry, man. I can't say anything really caught my attention. Like, I'm an old fart. And I don't like what the Hollywood Hollywood movies. <laughs> oh come on, you're not as old as me. Me, I'm old. Ah, uh, you keep telling yourself that, man. <laughs> I'm as but old I... as I'm as old as Kiefer Sutherland. Apparently, I'm somewhere in between depression and acceptance. <laughs> oh, congratulations! So nearing the end, eh? <laughs> no, because it's not like a stable progression from one to the other. As I understand it, you can go backwards it's not oh, not really going backwards but you don't necessarily go one stage to the next you sometimes have to do a different order or cycle through a couple of times yeah that's fair anyways um yeah with the super bowl ads i mean as as nice as they are with the with, when they bring these trailers out i mean with all the news of, of movies and tv shows and but not getting all delayed or cancelled. I mean, it does bring hope, but I, I don't know. It'll, 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 
I will as much as I want to see see them. I I might not be holding. I might I might hold my breath on that on those ones. Fair enough. Uh so Debbie boy, what nerdful thing have you done this week? That's a good one. I'm just trying to think. I I haven't really done much. Once <laughs> more, look, I go on a stage where I I do. I watch tons of movies and games. I play tons of games for about two weeks every six months, and then I do nothing. Um. Okay. I finished a manga called Mermaid. What's it called? Mermaids. Oh, I'm dying here. <laughs> Wait, well, you... Don't look at me. I have no idea what you could be talking about. <laughs> me neither. I'm, 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 as, I, I'm as bewildered as you are, Professor. Mermaid Saga. Okay, you have to remember. It was like a few weeks ago, so I was trying to remember it. So it's an old manga from, 19, from the 1990s uh, slash 80s. So it's pretty good. So it's done by Rimiko Takahashi, who's the same author of Yurisei Tsura, which is also my favorite uh, anime. Um, and uh, yeah, it's honestly pretty solid. It basically turns, uh, it's about mermaids, and if you eat mermaid uh, scales or flesh, you can turn immortal. Um, so it goes more off the ancient mythos of deities like mermaids um, than the modern Disney interpretation. So it's all that they're basically vampires, and they just go around trying to eat people. So it's it's a small little run mini series. It's quite entertaining. So have you encountered any any craziness uh, in the in the uh, series? I mean, given her writing style, majority of characters are crazy. Uh, there's a there's a boy that keeps murdering parents. Um, there's uh, an ancient mermaid goddess which basically wants evil humans. Uh, then you've got just just tons of immortal people just hanging around having parties, basically. Not literally, but you know, it's always this. The main character is just like, you don't understand my experience. And there's a nice moment when another character comes up where the main character is like, I'm 500 years old. Well, mate, I'm 700. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it's nothing, I wouldn't say it's an amazing, but it's definitely solid. So I'll probably give it a four out of five. Art-wise, beautiful. I get, that's an interesting one. I might give that a shot. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Professor? What have you been, what notable thing have you done? Well, I think after three episodes, it's safe for me to start talking about the second season of Snowpiercer. Oh, yeah. I've been watching it week by week as it comes out. I I think it's the show in general suffers from the same trap that a lot of sci-fi falls into. It's written for the lowest common denominator for the first season. Because this does sound like I'm saying I'm so... Sp- but my point is that a lot of sci-fi first season wastes a whole lot of time um just world building with the audience surrogate rather than throwing you right into the deep end which is difficult but some sci-fi does it well and i think a lot of sci-fi shows that have a poor first season and a better second season because they need to introduce all of these concepts that people aren't familiar with and people who are really into sci-fi already know all this and get bored and stop watching people who aren't into sci-fi don't watch sci-fi anyway so you know who are you writing for wait isn't snowpiercer um, based on the movie if i recall kind of very loosely it's um so the whole thing is based on a french comic or graphic novel whatever you want to call it um then there's the movie by boon jong ho i think yeah yeah no bong joon ho i remember because his name's um then there's the TV series, which is kind of loosely inspired by the movie. They're all very loose adaptations of the other. But I haven't read the comic, so I don't know the full details there. But the movie is sort of the end of Snowpiercer, the last re- rebellion of the Tailies. 
in the TV show, it starts only, I don't know, like 15 years? No, that's too long. Seven years, I think, after the um, Everything Crows. And the first season is about a Taylor who used to be a detective being pulled forwards to investigate a murder in first class. And he's sort of the audience surrogate. Everything gets explained to him about how the rest of the train lives. And meanwhile, the rest of the tale are planning uh, the revolution to take over the train. Uh, I think, though, the second season is much better because it... Okay, I'm, I want to do this, wanted to do this about first season, but at the start of the second season, Sean Bean gets introduced as Mr. Wilford. <laughs> and Sean Bean going up against Jennifer Connolly, who is sort of one of the leaders of the train in this power struggle, is bloody excellent. Sean Bean does this smarmy rich guy who wants to be king persona so well. Oh, he's done that in uh, he's done that on Game of Thrones as well. <laughs> Wasn't he already king in Game of Thrones? Well, he te- yes and no. He he was king, but wasn't really officially a king, kind of thing. This is a bit like the father so. of Walkers. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to let it die. Yeah, you like that movie, don't you? <laughs> yeah. So um. Anyway, so at the start of season two, it introduces Sean Bean. Before that, um, it's just the train against the tail against first class. Then Sean Bean comes onto the scene in a big way. And Sean Bean sitting in his luxury cabin, manipulating everyone who thinks he's a... Like, it's some excellent character work. And what I think is... Um, so the people who... Like, Sean Bean, uh, Mr. Wilford's loyal adherence. It's just a really interesting concept. And honestly, it kind of reminds me of real bit. We have the super rich people like Elon Musk who want to flee the Earth before we destroy it and go to Mars, being worshipped by people who want to buy Teslas. Oh, speaking of Elon Musk, did you guys hear? Uh, did you guys watch um, Elon Musk on Joe Rogan the other day? No. No. Oh, he was talking about how space. He wants to Who's make Joe Rogan. Who's Joe Rogan? Yeah, I'm uh, he's a guy who he's the guy that's famous for hosting Fear Factor. I can't get into this ultimate Wikipedia search, I guess. These days, he's a podcast host who's known for bringing in a lot of weird people, and he's really into stuff. Yeah, I have just very confused second there. Yeah, but um, he was, but yeah, he also does like MMA commentary and stand-up comedy and stuff as well. But um, yeah, he was talking. Yeah, so the other day, um, Elon Musk was saying that. He wants to make regular flights to space by 2023. Mm, like regular manned flights? I think so, yeah. Like, what do you mean? Because they're already doing regular flights to space. I think he means like space flights and whatnot, so. Of what? Starship? We need yep. more info. <laughs> yes, um, Mr. Wolford reminds me a lot of people like Elon. Super rich people who happen to stumble into a great idea that happened to be really significant to the way the world turned. In this case, Mr. Wilford happened to create the train that kept everyone alive when the world froze over. Mr. Wilford uh, seems like he's an engineer, I think, but um, he doesn't have anything to do with the running of the train, really. he just He's just happy sitting in his cabin being king. And the revolution on the train 
threatens that. So you've got this smarmy rich guy who wants everyone to worship him. And I think it, yeah, it's some really good character work with him manipulating his adherents and the people who don't want to, you know, the tail um, don't want him taking over again. And they're also leaning more into the sci-fi season. I think the um, the sci-fi element, apart from it being on a train, told the murder story in pretty much any kind of um, any setting. I don't see it as being inex- like inexorably linked to Snowpiercer, which I think is another problem with a first season sci-fi. They have a pl- plot like that that um, they do while they do all the character development for their main plot. In this case, the power struggle. And it's nothing you can't get anywhere else, so why keep watching? And I also think the um, sort of audience surrogate character, the detective, is a bit flat in the first season. He's better in the second season, but yeah, yeah he wasn't great. But anyway, um, I'm really enjoying the sci-fi aspect. I love the concept of Snowpiercer of and this stratified society that's um being over you know in the process of being overthrown this sort of french revolution mindset um and having some really good actors up there as the doing the the power struggle is really interesting and then the the sci-fi element i'm really getting into as well so i'm i'm really excited to see where this season goes so I'd give it, I think, 3.75 out of 5. <laughs> wow, really precise there. <laughs> yeah. Also, there's a lot of, um, on the subreddit, there's a lot of art being released by the official artist teams explaining, like, concept art, explaining the train and how every- everything fits together. And that's, um, um, sorry. That's my train of thought there. Yeah, it's the concept art. I was just pulling it up to have another look at some of it. The That really interests me, getting to know more about the engineering and the systems. And it's all sort of believable to an extent. Of course, the idea that there's a train with an eternal engine that drives forever along track that never moves or needs to be repaired is ridiculous. But the system keeping all of the... Um, like the layout of the train with all of the equipment and farming sections and stuff is all really interesting to me. Okay. Um, my nerdful thing um, is basically another episode of Exarm. Oh, God. You should just save yourself, man. You should save yourself. <laughs> I can't. It's, oh, no. I can't. It's, it's you're, 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 riding, you're riding this, uh, this train wreck out, aren't you? <laughs> yep, uh, it's it's like a it's like a beautiful car crash. You just you, you, you just can't get your eyes off it. <laughs> well, what happened this week? Okay, so oh, uh, so this episode starts off with yes, Akira is alive and he's cooking food for his brother, and they do this banter, and and so him and his brother do this banter, and they have this speech about, and the brother does a speech about. How technology is turning against its creators and controlling them. Where have I seen this before? Where have I heard this before? So Akira, so Akira has this weird dream, and he and he has this ominous voice and wakes up screaming like some kid in a generic horror movie. I, I really hope they take this trope out to the back and just shoot it like old Yeller. I mean that this trope is getting annoying. So. He realizes that he has a body and he's in his room in 2014. And he hears a doorbell rings and sees, get ready for it, 
Discovery Oko telling our hero that he's late for school. Uh, and so they reach the school and they t- and he tells Discarioka he has a bad dream that he was in 2030 reduced to a brain and Discarioka was a was a cop and Discount goes to the shell major as her partner. After this enlightening discussion, the teacher goes on, looks like Discount senior officer, introduces a new student who happens to be Discount major, goes on the alias Iria Alma. So, all, so, so they do all these like madcap high school hijinks thing, and and what it turns out to be a uh, plan by the police by the police force that uh, they're going to they're making this this world is a fantasy world, and they're trying to reawake his memories. Wow, no, no, uh, no stunned silence. No way, are you serious? <laughs> that is like the that? stunned silence. <laughs> We're not responding because it's just so bad. <laughs> So the team do some. So this team do some investigation while Akira is acting like a bumbling idiot, which makes Colonel Schultz proud. And so while they investigate, they notice some weird things, like there's no cars on the road, no no one's owning a cell phone. <laughs> and so they try. And so they're thinking of ways to try and reawaken his memory. And one of the one one person decides to try a theory, which is sort of identical to you know the whole smashing a pot plant and you lose a memory and to decide to recreate that incident to get the memories back. Yeah. Like, um, what they did in, uh, Kingsman. Yeah. I mean, it's a common trope, but that's the first one that came to mind. Yeah. So that's what they try to do. So she tries that idea by getting herself in, 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 the, in front of a truck, but that does not happen because the truck automatically, all of a sudden disappears. Like, what the hell? <laughs> What's going on here? And so it turns out that the world is now controlled by someone else, and that someone else is Yig, who is a who moves around like the like the um as a strange girl in the horror movies. You know those stra- strange little girls in the shining, for example? Yeah. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> So basically, they th- thanks to this strange little girl, they've been they're now trapped in this virtual world, and the only way to tell to break out this world is to tell Akira that he's he's in a fantasy world. And so they come up with various ideas to try and make tell Akira that he's in a fantasy world. And one one idea was be charming, which ought to be the most stupidest thing I can think of. <sighs> so naturally, they so naturally, uh. Yeah, decides to uh decides to break the world um when they when she discovers the entire plot and uh it's it's so harebrained that he, i i could i, I decided to try decide to go what the hell am i watching and soldiered on and basically at the end of it we we rediscovered that, that there's a new character which is who's basically akira's doppelganger with the with the most cr- cringiest code name beta <laughs> And that's it. That's the uh, that's it. That's the end of the series. Well, not the end of the series. The end of the sh- the episode. Okay. Sounds so hairbrained. What a twist! <laughs> Please watch something better next week. I this can't. is bad for you. <laughs> I can't. It's it, the pain. It's too addictive. <sighs> but yeah, it was it was a clunky episode. The animation style is so bad. I. Uh, I mean, the, this new character Yig. She's she's just a love, another lovesick teenager. Oh god, the the story just wants to get. It's starting to. It, I, I'm having the feeling it's starting to become like 
your traditional, oh yeah, we found this new villain. It's going to be a new cat and mouse game. And uh, oh, and by the way, at the end of the episode, the hero goes, "I know who you are, Beta, and I will never, and I will, and, and I will stop you till my dying breath." Like so, like some epic um showdown. <laughs> but yeah, I'm I'm still gonna give this a, a zero out of five just because it's 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 so bad, so bad. Anyways, uh, we need to hold an intervention. <laughs> Anyways, uh, we'll uh, take a short break and we'll be back with our shout outs, but famous birthdays, remembrances, and events of interest. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So on to our shout-outs. On the 6th of February 2021, the 30th anniversary of Street Fighter 2, the uh, legendary fighting game launched in Japanese arcades on 6th of February 1991. Street Fighter 2, which established and popularized the fighting game genre, is considered one of the greatest video games of all time. Uh, this game improved many of the concepts introduced in the first games, including the use of special command-based moves and the six-button configuration, which offering players a wide selection of playable characters, each with their own fighting style and introducing the combo system. The game was responsible for popularizing the concept of direct tournament-level competition between two players. Previously, Obviously, video games often relied on high scores to determine the best player, but this changed with Street Fighter 2 where players instead challenged each other directly face-to-face to determine the best player, paving the way for competitive multiplayer and deathmatch modes found in modern action games. Did you guys ever like that? Did you guys ever played it? Never really been into fighting games. What about you, Debbie boy? I think we killed him. <laughs> oh, killed, yeah, alive. sorry. So what about you, Debbie I'm boy? assuming you, you killed him. <laughs> Should we I be think- worried about this? <laughs> the the the, the, uh, the, the poop pills are so annoying. It's got a question reality. So, uh, have you played uh, Street Fighter Two, Debbie Boy? I have. Wait, wait. What was your favorite part about that game? <laughs> the sexy pixel art. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Nice. Yes. Who, who I'm not meaning that kind of sexy. I'm meaning just in general how good it is. That's all. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Especially the uh, EX editions that came out later. Um, oh, yeah. Very yeah. fluid. What do, you, what do you think of um, Street Fighter going into, uh, when, the, when they went to, when it transitioned to 3D, when, when it had Street, like, for example, Street Fighter um, 4? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it kind of destroyed a lot of the style it had. Like, don't make me wrong, 3D graphics are great, but as a certain charm of pixel art, you can't exactly recreate with 3D. And they, uh, their first attempt, they didn't do a very good job. Uh, but I do understand 3D being better for development because yeah. right, yeah, uh, SNK knows that best that trying to make a HD pixel art game with high res uh, pixel art graphics is basically a pain in the ass um, so yeah I understand why but can't say I enjoy it yeah that's my thing <laughs> on the uh, 6th of February 2021 the third anniversary of Falcon Heavy and Starman so the Falcon Heavy test flight was the first attempt by SpaceX to launch a Falcon Heavy rocket on February 6, 2018. The successful f- test introduced the Falcon Heavy as the most powerful rocket in operation. It's kind of funny that I was just criticizing people who worship Elon. 
<laughs> and uh, and and the cool and the funny part about this one, um, this was the one where Elon attaches a car, and the and, and how it and the story behind it was in twenty seven in twenty seventeen, Elon Musk said that he that the that because of the launch of the Falcon Heavy was risky, it would kept. It would carry the suitliest thing, and one of his Twitter followers suggested putting in mo- Tesla Model S. Where Elon replied, "Suggestions welcome." And so he announced that the payload would be the pers- would be his personal midnight cherry Tesla Roadster. And sitting on the driver's seat is Starman, a dummy cl- astronaut clad um, in SpaceX uh, spacesuit in his uh, driving hat, and the steering wheel, and left ha- elbow in the uh, windowsill. Starman is uh, from the David Bowie song Starman. The car stereo sound would be looping uh, the symbolic David Bowie song Space Oddity and Life on Mars. And there's a copy of Douglas Adams' 1979 novel, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, in the glove box, along with references to the book in the form of towel of, of a towel and a star on and a sign on the dashboard that reads "Do not panic." And a Hot Wheels miniature roadster on of the mini Starman is mounted on the dashboard, and a plaque bearing the names of the employees who worked in the project is underneath the car, and the message saying "Made on on Earth by humans." Aliens so, are going to be so confused. <laughs> Although that'd be interesting. Can you imagine, like you in a you in a spacecraft, and all of a sudden your car is the Tesla car is like wedged in the. Um, spacecraft and like who parked this car and they look at oh first i'd be screaming oh no the structural integrity the atmosphere is leaking help (laughs) and then i'll start complaining and mount a revenge campaign um on the 6th of february 2021 we got a shout out from find that pod so we were now we were featured in the 96th edition of the uh find that pod um group and this was featured in the five great podcasts for you to listen to. And this is our descript- This is the description they gave us. Nerds talking about nerdy things related to nerdy pop culture. Normally, that's all you would need to know about the show, but perhaps that's not enticing enough. This show is a very mix of talk about video games, movies, technology launches, and other nerdy news impacting the world of nerds. So go ahead, let your geeky flag fly as high as you can lift it. For the nerds of the world, have amalgamated and now run everything, including this show, which you should listen to. I feel like they've got an appropriate number of uses of the word nerd in there. Yep. Dude, that should be our um that that should be our description for the show. See how many times you can fit nerd in it. <laughs> and on the 9th of February 2021, that's the 20th anniversary of Hannibal the movie. And as a pop culture phenomenon, Hannibal Lecter is always on the brain. Set a decade after, decade after the events of Silence of the Lambs, the sequel, which finds Julianne Moore replacing Jodie Foster as Starling, but Hopkins back as Lecter is perhaps best remembered now, at least by me, for its ridiculous status as the movie where Ray Liotta ate, eats his own brain. Okay, then. <laughs> uh, the book was published in 1999, where the ending was controversial for sending Lecter and Clarice uh, previously, cat and mouse rivals off on a romance together. <laughs> oh, that's so weird. <laughs> it's no surprise that Hannibal fell short of quality of a classic like Lambs, but it's surprising how disappointing that fall provo- proved to be. <laughs> so, uh, on to our remembrances. On the 9th of February 1979, uh, Dennis Garber 
uh, passed away. Uh, he's a Hungarian-British electrical engineer and physicist, most notable for inventing holography, for which he later received the 1971 Nobel Prize in Physics. The basic idea was that for perfect optic, optim, optical imaging, the total of all information has to be used, not only the amplitude, as in using optical imaging, but also the, the phase. In this manner, a complete hollow spatial picture can be obtained. In 1973, Garber published Inventing the Future, which discussed the three major threats Garber saw to modern society. War, overpopulation, and the age of leisure. The book invented... He, uh, the book contained the, the well-known expression, the future cannot be predicted, but futures can be invented. I like that sentiment. Mm. In 1971, he was the single recipient of the Nobel Prize in Physics with his motivation for, with the motivation for his invention and development of holographic method, and presented the history of development of holography from 1948 in his Nobel Nobel lecture. He died at the age of 78 in South Kingston, London. On our famous birthdays, on the 8th of February 1914, Bill Finger was born, an American comic strip and comic book writer best known as the creator with Bob Kane of the DC comic book character Batman and the co-architecture of the series development which mostly worked as a as his ghostwriter and the uh, and from what I've gathered uh, Finger recalled Kane had an idea for a character called Batman and he liked uh, me he he liked me to see the drawings so I went over to Kane's and he had, had a character which looked much like Superman with a kind of reddish tights. I believe with boots, no gloves, no gauntlet, with a small domino mask small, swinging from on a rope. He had two stiff wings which were sticking out looking like bat wings. And under it was a big sign, Batman. We are so lucky they changed it. <laughs> Although the, uh, it always makes me laugh a little bit when hear that the first issue of first comic with Batman was like was from a comic book called Detective Comics. That's like walking into a bookstore and buying romance book. <laughs> or like cooking book. <laughs> cooking book. It's so specifically non-specific. Oh, but it's interesting when you say about detective um, comics though, because in this uh, Finger also um, Finger also described um, in a in Kane's biography, as a contributing force on Batman right from the beginning, I made Batman a superhero vigilante where I create where I first created him. Bill turned him into a scientific detective, but uh, Batman proved a breakout hit, and he would went on to write uh, many early Batman stories, including the major contributions to the Joker character. Oh, and the Joker story was uh, how how they created the Joker was very interesting as well. They based him off a character in a movie. And uh, among the st things from, made from his stories, the distinct users were the giant-sized props, including enlarged pennies, sewing machines, or typewriters. Two of the preve prevalently featured trophies in the Batcave, a full-sized full animatronic T-Rex, and a giant replica Lincoln penny, were introduced in stories written by Finger. He was born in Denver, Colorado. And I think, yeah, that's... I mean, can, can you believe it? He, so this is the man that created the Batman universe. Hmm. On to our events of interest on the he's 8th of February. Hold on. Well, he's got a lot to answer for. <laughs> Without him, we never would have had bat nipples. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, on to our events of interest on the uh, 8th of February, 1974, after 84 days in space, the uh, crew of space uh, Skylab's 
for the last crew to visit American Space Station Skylab returns to Earth. So three crewed missions designated Skylab 2, Skylab 3, and Skylab 4 were made to were made to Skylab in the Apollo Command and Service Modules. The crew dis- deployed a parcel-like sunshade through a small instrument port from the outside of the station, bringing station temperatures down to acceptable levels and provi- preventing overheating that would have melted the plastic insulation inside the station and released poisonous gases. Skylab 4's astronaut completed 1,214 Earth orbits and four EVAs totaling 22 hours, 13 minutes. EVAs are, by the way, uh, extracurricular activity, for those curious. And they traveled 34.5 million miles, which is 55,500,000 kilometers in 84 days, one hour, and 16 minutes in space. This was the last Skylab mission before the Earth fell from orbit in 1979. The Earth fell from orbit? Uh, the station, I mean. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it landed in that Australia. Would be a crazy, th- that would be a crazy movie if that were to happen. And uh, speaking of crazy movies, on the 8th of 1990, Alienator was born. This title sprung on the masses on, on this day in 1990. And here's the plot. Cole is an evil guy about to be executed on a distant spaceship. He manages to escape on a shuttle and makes his way to some woods in America. The commander of the spaceship decides to send out the Alienator to execute Cole at all costs. Cole meets up with some teens and Ward Armstrong, Armstrong, and together they, they they all try to not get killed by the pursuing woman of death, the Alienator. (laughs) <laughs> this film was described by Leonard Malton and confirmed by Fred Olin Ray to be the semi-remake of the 1957 film The Astounding She-Monster. Yeah, that just sounds all bad. <laughs> oh, it, it gets even funny, okay? So the uh, film's tagline is The Ultimate Terminator, which is a nod to The Terminator starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> I, I, I want to watch this movie just to cringe at it now. <laughs> Do what you want. <laughs> so um, that's all we have for this week. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. That's not Canada.com. We're in an archive of our old episodes. And you get to see new podcasts as well, such as Cold Turkey, which is a discussion podcast based on what has provoked major changes in people's lives for the best. They talk with guests about their most important radical switches from bad to good. And uh, before we go, we have an important announcement to make. Uh, Should we do this with a drum roll, Professor? I don't see why not. Drum roll, please! Why are we doing it? Why don't you do it? All right. I'm happy, but nothing's happening. My volume's too low. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, noise floor's got it off. (laughs) We'll be starting up a YouTube channel. Uh, so th- this YouTube channel, so we'll be st- we'll be starting that up soon, and we'll be a- a- putting in some content for that for you guys to check out. Um, we're not really sure what the schedule is going to be like for the YouTube stuff, but we will keep you posted through our social media, and you will enjoy it. Hopefully, you'll like, you'll enjoy our content. I'm glad you added hopefully because the first bit sounded a bit, you know. <laughs> Threatening. <laughs> you little shit. Come over here. Come here. Come here. Watch your YouTube channel right now. If, if you don't, you don't do it. 
I'm going to put it down Are you there. enjoying it yet? <laughs> Are you enjoying it? Enjoy it or I'll take another finger. <laughs> I, I'll bring Trevor Phillips in here. I'll show you how fun I'll bring my cousin Jamal to, to come and break your thumbnail thumbs. <laughs> so uh, that's all we have for today. Uh, take care of yourself. Stay hydrated, and uh, well, this was a fun birthday episode, and we should thank all of our uh, fans and guests for making this ha- podcast happen. Hell yeah! See you next week. Bye bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.